0: Bem-vindos to one more episode of the Type Theory For All podcast. As always, this is your host, Pedro Abreu. This time, talking directly from Brazil, the dreamland of beautiful sighted people. In this episode, we will talk about the SIGPLAN, probably the most important organization in our field of programming languages. What is SIGPLAN? What exactly does it do? How is it organized? How are things published? To answer this and many other questions, we will talk with Jens Palsberg, who is the past chair of the SIG plan. Jens is a professor at UCLA. And also we will talk with Jonathan Aldridge, who is a member of the ACM Publication Board. Jonathan is a professor at Carnegie Mellon. But before we get into the conversation, I would like to ask you guys to consider supporting the show. If you're liking the show, go to our website, type 3 and you will see a link to Ko-Fi, any donations will be greatly appreciated to keep running the show. Thank you so much. So without further ado, let's get into it. We have here today, Jonathan Odrich and Jens Paulsberg. Thank you so much for being here. You Thanks for inviting us.
1: Yes. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be with you.
0: Where should we start this? Because, okay, so I have a plan to have a better understanding of how everything comes together in order for us as, 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 a, as a group of, of, of researchers, of scientists, to publish our work and how, how all this organizes together. And I know that most of our conferences are under the SIG plan. That's why you two, you two are here. We're going to be talking about that. But the SIG plan itself is part of of this bigger organization, the ACM, right? So I think a good place to start is to have a, a better understanding of what is the ACM and, and what the role does it play in our field? So ACM is, is a
2: society. It's most of all a society of educators and researchers and, and computing professionals. And it's indeed the largest society of its kind, sort of an educational and scientific society. And so, the goal of ACM is to create dialogue, to to share, and of course, to work on
0: the challenges in computing. How is it? How is it organized internally?
2: Of course, a lot of ACM is volunteers. ACM has a hundred thousand members. A lot of them volunteer for one thing or the other. Um, Their committees and there are councils, there are special interest groups, and they do lots of things. And then the ACM uh, does have a headquarters with uh, 70 staff in New York City. And so the staff is there then to make all those, all those members have a good time and do good things.
0: Oh, wow. Sounds like a very big organization that is somehow an umbrella to organize everything going on in, in the, the field of computer science. Is that a, a fair fair idea? I think so. ACM has its has its uh, hands
2: in in just about everything going on in in computing, and uh, most likely any topic in computing, there'll be a special interest group that's focusing on that. Any problem that's facing society, there's most likely a council or a committee that's interested in in uh, finding out how to address it.
0: Very interesting. And
2: now you mentioned special interest groups. What what are those? The special interest groups are already like a third of the hundred thousand members um we have of course SIGPLAN, the special interest group on programming languages we have another special interest group on software engineering and then another 36 after that and uh so the idea is that that's where people come together around more specific topics technical topics and um so the, uh, a lot of a lot of what ACM does that has to do with say conference proceedings or sometimes journals connected to conferences that goes through the special interest groups.
0: So wow, thir- thirty six—that's that, a lot. That's much more than I than I would expect. You know, like computer science is a lot bigger than I than I would, than I would think. But so these special interest groups—they are—they are—they're—they're. They're, um, self-managing they all have their own their own organization and they do their own thing with their own money let's put it that way with their own people yeah. or yeah. how yeah. much how much does the acm has a has a role in inside what yeah. the cigs are doing
2: Yeah, well, they the special interest groups are exactly like you said they they uh, self they self-organize they self-run and The the headquarters, one of their finest functions is to support the special interest groups and what they want to do. So, for example, if the SIG plan wants to organize a conference, they may need a hotel and then the headquarters may help them find a hotel that matches the price that they want to pay. Or uh, there may be something coming up where they want to start a new award and, and then headquarters will help. Get the award text in order and make it make it look like so that uh, it is indeed a, a, an award that's like the other awards that ACM already has. And sort of uses some of the same language and satisfies all the good criteria about diversity and inclusion and so on. And so, uh, so that's where the headquarters is helpful. And um, but the six, uh, otherwise, they will have their own executive committee. It will have its own money. And, and what they do is that they pay, uh, we could call it a tax or an overhead to ACM uh, in return for getting those services so right. from, from the headquarters.
0: Yeah, that sounds fair because they're providing quite, quite, some, quite some service for, for you, for the CIS, SIGs. It's like, it sounds like similar to what a department does in a university, right? And uh, the department is providing all these services and they're organizing things and they're making sure that everything can, can run smoothly. So the ACM is this bigger umbrella where it's making sure that the SIGs, the SIGs are the ones that are actually doing the work, it seems to me, right? Yeah, very well said. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's very interesting. Now, okay, so let's, let's focus a little more on, on, the, on the SIG plan then. Um, what, what exactly is the SIG plan? What does the SIG plan does? So SIG plan
2: is the, the special interest group on programming languages and so it's all things programming languages the the concepts and the tools and the theory and the implementation and the the practice the use of languages and uh, and everything in between and um and so so the sigplan members are the people who are interested in some of that or all of that or um uh, uh whatever it may be and so what sigplan then does is well very importantly it, it organizes conferences we have more than well over 10 conferences every year organized by SIGPLAN and then uh, we give awards Uh, we have 10 different awards that we give out every year uh, for uh, both uh, software tools for uh, young researchers for established researchers for best papers awards of all kinds and uh, so this so this is one way that we celebrate excellence we want, to, we want to always celebrate all the excellence that's going on in, in our community. And, uh, and then much more current, we have a blog where uh, the, the blog uh, editors see to that uh, news are coming out. Sometimes those news are interviews. Sometimes they are some exciting paper that was published recently that may be a bit difficult to read from end to end, but then the blog editors will see to that a short version that's readable by everybody. Uh, will come up.
1: I just uh, wrote a a blog post on how we organized um, Splash uh, coming back from the pandemic. Uh, Splash was the first of the of the major SIG plan conferences to uh, go back to to in-person operations, but we also ran it as a hybrid conference. So we talked in the blog about our experience with that.
0: So was that one in Chicago, right? That was in Chicago last November. Yes. it was very it was lovely. It was so good to go to to be back in person and just see people and to actually talk, you know, like not just see this this virtual face that we have all the time in front of us.
1: <laughs> it really was wonderful to be back. Um, but it was also it was also fun that uh, you know we could hold it and have people participate, even though some people from europe and and other parts of the world weren't able to come into the us at that time. Um, we did we did, were able to host people you know giving talks remotely participating in hallway conversations uh, through a, a a video link to the hallway um participating in uh in um ask me anything and and some of our social events uh, so it was it was an experiment uh you know with uh, some successes and some lessons learned but uh um yes very fun to be back
0: that was that was great yeah, hold hold that thought a little bit. We're gonna. I I want to come back to this in a bit. Um, to talk more about about the conferences and and this hybrid style. Definitely, there are some 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 things that I that I want to go through over there. Before we get to it, so we, we we're talking about the organization of 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 the SIG plan. Uh, I I was I was curious. So every everything that ever that that happens under the ACM and and the SIG plan, everything is volunteered. Everything. Yeah. Nobody is, is getting much out of this. Why do you guys do this? Then I mean, what, what 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 is going on? You know. Well, first of all, I
2: get to know you people, right? So uh, <laughs> that's such a benefit. Um, I think the. I think what I what I learned over time is that by by volunteering for Sick Plan, I I get to know, I get to know people who really love the field. And, and like to see good things happen in the field, and those people are just fun to work with. We can make things happen together.
1: That's the, that's the reward. I would agree with that, and I think there, there's also an aspect of giving back. You know, right. um, we've we've all uh, those of us who are in the in the community, especially the research community, have have all been to Sigplan conferences. We've published papers. Um, we know we we can see you know how much work has gone into the feedback that we get from reviewers um, and, uh, and how much work goes into conference organizations. And that only happens because people step up and volunteer. And, and so you know, when you're in a position to do it, uh, then it's, it's nice to, to have that chance to give back to the community. And, and it is fun, you know, it's, it's, it's nice to see other people at the conferences. It's nice to be there and and see something that you had a small part in building, uh, you know, making people, uh, you know, happy to see each other and and uh, helping uh, you know promote knowledge in the field. So these these are all good things.
0: Yeah, I I, def- I definitely relate to that. There was some point that we have a group in 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 Purdue as well called Purple, and. During during the pandemics, nobody nobody was meeting and nobody was no, doing doing anything. And like I just I just want things to to happen, right? And in order for things to happen, someone has to step up and organize, right? So so it's just someone has to, to come over. So I just I just volunteered because of that. I just want things to happen, right? So I, I definitely I definitely see that happening. So Jens, you you you've been you've been a a plan chair, I think last year. Is that is that correct? Could you could you explain? Yeah. Could you explain a little bit what is the role of a of a chair over there? What 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 happens there? You know, like and who are the people that you interact with? What are the other roles? Something along those lines. Yeah, yeah. So uh, first of all,
2: um, the SIG plan has uh, an executive committee of eleven people, and uh, we're very good at continuity. We always have the the past chair and the past vice chair on the executive committee, so they that they can always say, well, we tried this a couple of years ago and it didn't work, that that kind of thing. <laughs> uh, the, the the chair is really very much the chair of the executive committee. So it means uh, sort of the more day-to-day stuff or week-to-week stuff that always comes to the chair. And then so the chair is there to get things done. And then all the bigger decisions, they go to the executive committee. And we we have meetings twice a year. So typically at POPL and PLDI. So just like uh, with about six months spread out, and um, uh, really go over everything sick plan does at those meetings. So the the kind of the the kind of things that come up, uh, sort of week to week, I've sort of usually sort of small things. So it could be that there's a problem with a conference, that um, that that the conference is just is facing something big. Okay, the pandemic is coming. What do we do? And then that comes up to the SIG plan executive committee. But actually, the conferences have their own steering committees, and usually those steering committees are, uh, are doing everything that it takes to organize the conferences. So, that, so that, that usually doesn't require the executive committee or the chair to help. But when there's a problem, then the chair has a very good function, which is that the chair is usually a little bit better connected to ACM headquarters mm, and then right. can go and ask for help and get, readily get it. And then, of course, the chair is, uh, has the job of seeing to that work gets done. So, uh, so we do give out all these awards. And sometimes the award chair gets sick and doesn't get something done for a while. And then the, the sick plan chair may need to either step in or like push or find a replacement or something. Um, and just otherwise, see to that things sort of keep, keep going. So keep the trains running on time. Uh, so, um, so in that sense, the chair is sort of very much like a like a little chief executive who just sees to that day to day everything is working. Um, but I think the actually the steering committees of the conferences are very important in SIGPLAN. And so when we take the so we already talked about SPLASH and then Popl and PLDI and ICFP in particular those four, but also the steering committees of all the other SIGPLAN conferences, they do a great job of of um, making the conferences happen every year, see to that they uh, are held in different locations in the world, so that different people will be close to the conference every year, and see to that just that the conferences have high quality. And so, in many ways, the the sick plan chair's job is to take a little bit of the credit that all those, those uh, <laughs> steering committees
0: are generating uh, by be, by doing such a good job. So the, the steering committee, they, they're they're kind of like doing their own thing. So. Yeah, I'm trying to keep to keep in my mind the, the the notion of how does the organizations come together. So there is this big umbrella of the ACM, and then there are the the SIG, and then within the SIG, for each one of the conferences, there is the steering committee of the conference, where they are the ones that are actually making the conference to happen, and then they're talking with the the committee, with the chair of the SIG plan, and the chairs, and the people that actually are there in discipline, much better connected that can help with anything that comes up. Yeah, very well said. And, okay, okay. And um, how, how does the, the how does the choice of the steering committee goes, um, are, are chosen as well? They're also volunteered too?
2: They are also volunteers and
0: we have election. election. So every
2: every three years we have election. And so the chair is elected and the vice chair is elected and indeed all the other people on the executive committee are elected. And so all the six, all the two thousand sick plan members vote, and uh, they get who they vote for.
0: Oh yeah, I think I voted like two years ago. Was it two years? Yeah, I think like last year, two years ago. I remember that. I remember something like that? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Although I had I have not much idea what I was voting for back then. I was still like a baby <laughs> in our field. But um, okay. That that's very that's that's very nice. So okay, I have I have a better understanding now of how the SIG plan works and what they're doing and and how the conferences are coming together and how these all people are involved. It's, it sounds like a lot of work, and I'm very happy that we have you guys managing this. Everyone who who is involved, that is amazing. Thank you so much. Now, then, and and then, I believe like the, well, I mean the conferences itself is. Is, is important on its own because people are going to are going to gather there are going to meet there are going to talk and and share right but behind that we are also very interested in in the publications that are going there so the whole reason in a sense for the conference to exist is is, is for the publications to happen right let's let's talk about let's talk about that a little bit so um, each conference has their own set of publications is is that correct
1: that's right, yes. Typically, uh, you know, uh, each, pub- each conference has a proceedings, uh, which is the uh, papers that are accepted at that conference, and, of course, some, some conferences have multiple tracks uh, where, you know, students can publish, um, you know, uh, abstracts of posters that they're given, uh, people developing research can, can publish uh, in workshops at the conference, and, of course, people who have more mature research can publish full papers. Uh, and share share that knowledge with the world, um, you know, through the paper and the publication. And you know, I think the the nice thing about conferences is it combines an opportunity for the written publication with a chance to present the work. Really, it's the the pairing of that kind of in person experience and networking with the uh, the publication dissemination of the scientific results.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I definitely I definitely agree with that. Now, I, I have this. I don't know if you if, if you're gonna be able to answer this question, but I've always been curious how how is a conference born? How do you guys sit down and decide, okay, we need a new conference about blah? Like who decides that? What's going on behind the hood there? Okay. Can I can I go all the way back to when
2: ACM was founded? So Please. we're back in the we're back in the forties. Yes, that I love we- that there was a meeting at Columbia university in New York in actually on September 15, 1947. Um, uh, So we are very, very close to the 75 years anniversary, just a a few days away from today. And indeed we did have a big celebration in San Francisco of the 75 years earlier this year. And um, so why, why did they, why did they found ACM? And then we'll get back to why all these conferences and, and the point is that to make progress, we need to bring people together. And back in the in the '40s, that was just when computers were first built—the first very, very early computers. And and there was a lot of excitement, and so there started to be these meetings about computing, and and people thought we need to organize this. And so uh, uh, this meeting at Columbia had had a sort of a, call for participation with a a note in there that said that we're going to think about starting what became ACM. And that notice said, the purpose of this organization would be to advance the science development, construction, and application of the new machinery for computing, reasoning, and other handling of information. So think about that. Computers had just been invented. And people were already saying we need to think about all this. We need to we need to get together to make progress on this. And so ACM became this this organization for hosting meetings, hosting workshops, hosting conferences, so we can all make progress and get to know each other. And um, it's that was the umbrella. And then you can say, okay, so um, how did how did we start Popple? Okay, so Popple was founded all the way back to the early 70s. And I was not there. But what people tell me is that programming languages as a field was starting to really take off. There were more and more languages. And it was clear that there was a, there was sort of common ideas and common interest. But everybody was doing it in a little bit different way. And it's like, we should get together and talk. And so, so this thing of... So this is where, you know, I keep getting back to the tipping point, you know, Malcolm Gladwell's book, that there are these people who are super connected and who love to just bring people together. So you get one of those. And before you know it, you'll have a new conference.
1: <laughs> Indeed. And, and this process continues today. You know, I think um, the, the origin stories of some of the other conferences in SIGPLAN and elsewhere happen where, you know, there's a part of the community that is emerging and new things are happening um, you know, it happened to object oriented programming in the 1980s uh, it was an idea that that was explored originally. In, um you know, uh, uh, w- with Simula and Smalltalk in the 1970s and, uh, and but it had grown kind of beyond that and started to impact industry. Um, but, uh, you know, often when there's a new idea. Uh, there's no natural home for it, right? Or, or existing, you know, existing homes—they have their own standards, uh, they have their ways of doing things. The new idea doesn't quite fit, right? And so people felt this about object-oriented programming. They were trying to publish their ideas and their papers, and they were getting resistance. And they said, "We're going to form our own conference on on objects." And so that was how OOPSLO was born, uh, which is now SPLASH, uh, the conference I mentioned earlier. Um, so, you know, now objects are mainstream and uh, uh, um, there's a lot of excitement around functional programming, uh, which of course has its own conference in ICFP, uh, but that's getting broader too. And, um, and But even today, you know, uh, I'm involved in, uh, in a workshop um, on uh, the human aspects of reasoning assistance, uh, HATRA, uh, that will be at Splash uh, this fall. It's been... Uh, I held uh, I guess twice before. Uh, so there's this new workshop at you know kind of uh, the, uh, the intersection of math and people and uh, you know mathematicians and psychologists don't talk all that much but this is a little venue it's only a workshop right now uh, but it's a little venue where those people can talk about how to make theorem proving easier for people. Um, and so there's lots of workshops all over ACM like this and the ones that are successful and kind of grow a new community uh, they might turn into major conferences or maybe the community uh, kind of grows and merges with an existing conference. That's OK, too. Uh, but it's very organic. If you want to start something, you have an idea, you want to form a community, you can go and do that. You just put in a proposal to one of our conferences uh, to start a workshop. And if you have a good idea, it's likely it'll be accepted. You can go and, and make it happen. And if people come to it, it will grow.
0: Wow. Okay. Okay. I, I really like that answer. It was it went all the way back to, to the to regions and yep. Sounds, sounds, sounds fair. Start as a, as a workshop and work your way up, see how, how things go from there. I, I, I like that. I like that now. Does what, how, how, because, okay. So the, the institutions, especially, especially here in the U S. Are very concerned about about the quality of of the conference, and then they they assign the conference with different tiers, a one or a two. I'm not very familiar with with what exactly each tier is about. Um, how, how does that work? How do you make sure that the the conference itself is 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 being held on a higher quality, or you know, like maybe it's a it's going to be a little more lenient in, in that side? How does the community works around those things? So well, I think that's
1: a, a decision that each community has to make for itself. And we have seen, you know, changes over time and differences over time. You know, I try not to emphasize these rankings too much. I think they are kind of a a reflection of the reality, but they are not the reality itself. Um, I think, you know, quality is created by people. Um, when you create that workshop, uh, when you uh, organize the next version of a conference, you put together a steering committee, a program committee. Uh, the program committee looks at the papers that are submitted and chooses, chooses them. And the quality of the conference comes from the quality of the papers that are submitted, uh, the work that the reviewers do, and the quality and reputation of the reviewers in uh, selecting uh, papers that are you know, ready for publication. Um, and if you do a good job of that, if you can attract you know, good material from authors If you can review that material well and, and, you know, select and hone those papers uh, to be um, papers that the community learns from and appreciates over time, then your conference will, you know, eventually uh, become respected. And uh, maybe someday later it'll get a good rating from one of these agencies. But I think that's not the right thing to focus on. I think the right thing to focus on is the work that we publish and and making it high quality and and uh, ensuring the impact of that work.
0: I really like how you put things in regards of high quality. I think that that's that's very important, and especially in the sense of being being a community interested in honing high quality work because I think there is there is a lot of um, how can I say discussion right on how can we make the publication process more fair or more accessible. And I feel like within this discussion, we often forget about the aspect of quality, right? Which is the key point that we're trying to assure on this very heavy reviewing process. Uh, The peer peer reviewing process is making sure that things are up to to a certain quality, right? Um, I I think my... The, the The key point that kind of um, interests me is, you know, like this discussion of how much is too much? Once we are within the the committee, the 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 committee and the, the peer reviewing process, how much is too much to be you know like annoying to the to the authors of the paper of like, oh no, you're being a little bit too too flimsy on this particular aspect here. I cannot accept your paper. you know like we all have had this reviewer number two. About this, um, is this some sort of um, this, this sort of discussions? Is this something that that happens within within SIGPLAN within the conferences? You know, like how can we make the the publication process more fair overall?
2: So I, I I want to sort of go back a little bit to uh, to the days when the entire uh, evaluation of of papers for conferences culminated with a PC meeting where people talk for a day and a half. And it sounds great. And in many ways, I love PC meetings. Um, But the truth is that each paper that is discussed is only discussed for 10 minutes sometimes too. And, um, And so it means that there's really a limit to how much one can get into all the discussion that is expressed in the reviews. And that started to change when we moved more and more to, uh, to let's call it, online program committee meetings, where it's no longer limited to a day and where the reviewers of a paper can take the time over multiple weeks to discuss and really read what each other wrote. And so the effect of that, to me, is, is a huge unexpected benefit. It was not expected by me, which is that now people actually just want to be respected by the other reviewers. And so now let's forget about the authors for a moment. Now it's a matter of if I'm one of the free reviewers of a paper, I want the other two people to think that I'm a reasonable person. And so it means that it is absolutely in my best interest to argue for my position, to give examples of what I'm talking about in my review, so that the other people will say at least I don't agree with you, but at least you are arguing well for your position, and then we can still all respect each other so so these these reviews have come from uh years ago from being a place where you could say almost anything you wanted and get away with it to that it's almost like a like a written exam where that at least there are two other reviewers who will think badly of you if you if you write something that reviewer two would have written.
1: I think that's a great point, uh, and I, I would add to it that um, online reviewing has made it easier to fully incorporate external experts. So if, there's, if, there's, if you submit a paper, uh, hopefully there's an expert on the program committee because the program committee is often very diverse. Uh, but sometimes to get the expertise to evaluate your paper, we need to find someone who's not on the, the program committee but has that particular expertise uh, that's just the right fit. And we can bring that person in, and they can uh, they can be a full participant in the discussion. Uh, we did this before with uh, when the, in the era of PC meetings, uh, but somehow if you aren't present uh, in the actual conversation in the PC meeting, sometimes your opinion isn't. Uh, it, it's hard to take it as equally uh, as equal to the others uh, of people who are there. So, um, so I think we're able to. More effectively incorporate in a completely equal way these uh, these viewpoints uh, from even from outside the BC where where there's experts where there's expertise and that I think contributes to the quality as well.
0: That's that's something that I never thought of because I'm I'm already you know I'm I'm the younger generation now I'm then and I'm already used to how things are are, are so interconnected and everything happens in the in the in the website the hot crap. Um, and i i didn't even think about how how things were were before how even worse it was like sitting for 10 minutes to talk about a paper that sounds that sounds that doesn't make any sense to me <laughs> so it's 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 nice to have things on their perspective how how they are evolving right and <clears throat> i think well for me at least um it's 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 what we're doing is hard right like all of this is in order to advance science and and it takes time and a lot of, of, of commitment and effort. And then the, the, next, the next topic that this also brings is, well, now that, that we have the, the conference going on and we have the papers in, we need to publish it and make it widely accessible. How does, how does this work inside Sigplan? Is everything that Sigplan does open access? Is there anything that is behind a paywall? How does that work for SIGPLAN?
2: So, so let, let's begin with uh, the, the, some of the main the main SIGPLAN conferences. There, so they are they are gold open access. We have both gold open access. We have something called OpenCOC, which gives access to all the papers for free. And um, more broadly, uh, of course, ACM uh, is also thinking about this. And and uh, by 2025. Access to the entire digital library will be open for free. And um, SIGPLAN's point of view has been that we should make things open for a long time. Uh, we don't we don't do it uh, as much for the that, let me call them the other conferences or the smaller conferences that SIGPLAN has, but for the for the main conferences that where most of the papers are, we have been doing gold open access for a long time. And and so.
0: What exactly is golden open? Does that mean it? To a first
2: approximation, means that access is free, and it's and that uh, there that there are no restrictions. So the goal part is that there are absolutely no funny restrictions anywhere, and uh, so particularly in Europe, this is very important uh, that it's gold open access and not some other form of open access. It has to be like really open, and so ACM has been embracing this for a long time and been been working towards opening up the digital library and there, that day is getting closer.
0: Okay. Makes, makes a lot of sense. I don't know because uh, I I keep, I keep thinking, maybe you guys have some, some deeper insight about this, but it seems like it's somehow a historical depth that that we have in the sense of back in the day when we had to actually, you know, format everything and, and actually print the, the proceeding and that that has a, a big cost because then we, we need someone to actually format in a printable f- way but nowadays, nowadays it's very rare for us to, to, to print all, all of those papers together I've seen I've seen some of those like it's nice to have you know like you go to a conference and you get the actual the actual print it's, it's nice but in general we don't do that anymore so it seems to me that the costs for for doing that is is, is a lot lower and it doesn't quite makes much sense for it to be that closed anymore so it's 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 kind of an incognito for me why why is, why all how some of these things are, are closed nowadays you know what i mean
1: yeah you know i think uh a lot of this is based on the history of of print publication and uh based on you know older financial models where um you know uh the publisher would would uh print physical copies and uh, send them out to libraries that subscribe and the libraries would pay a subscription fee, uh, to get those, those, uh, those physical copies. Um, so, you know, as we've moved to more paperless, uh, uh, publishing, um, the, uh, those subscriptions turned into subscriptions to digital libraries, uh, but I think, you know, you're, you're raising a good point, and it's a point that uh, I think SIGPLAN has and its members have been recognizing uh, over the past few years that, uh, you know, now that we don't have to print papers on paper, uh, that uh, they should be accessible, right? The knowledge we produce should be accessible to the world. And I think SIGPLAN has been one of the leaders within ACM, as as Yen said, in moving towards open access. I think uh, we may be one of the few societies where all the major publication venues, um, POPL, PLDI, UPSLA, ICFP, uh, plus uh, um, Toplas now uh, are all open access. Um, 100% every paper. uh, And it's the the version of record in the digital library anyone can go and get. Uh, So so that's really exciting. I think it's a great accomplishment. Uh, but ACM, as a as an organization, is trying to move in this direction as well. Um, and there's certainly some organizational challenges. Uh, you know, as, as Jens mentioned, ACM is a large organization. Uh, there's um, a, a history, and and um, you know we have an existing library with. Uh, Papers going back, you know, all the way to the original popple as Yen said, but uh, even, even longer in the case of other conferences. Uh, so we have all this material, all this knowledge, and uh, uh, the ACM Publications organization is trying to you know, preserve that for posterity. And so they're moving to an open access model. Um, instead of uh, the, the new model is called ACM Open, and instead of uh, subscribe to uh, read, uh, as we've had for, you know, since the inception of ACM, we have a model where it's subscribed to publish. And so um, uh, libraries at uh, places like, uh, I think both of our universities are subscribers to ACM open, uh, Carnegie Mellon and the University of California uh, system. Um, and so uh, the university pays a subscription uh, for, so that all its authors can publish all their papers uh, in, uh, in gold open access. And so when, whenever either of us or anyone else who is at an uh, ACM open institution publishes a paper, whether it's in a fully open access journal or not, that paper that they publish is fully open access. And uh, there's no fee to the authors. Uh, it's all covered by the subscription that the library has.
0: That is, that is awesome. This, this thing that all the major conferences in SIGPlan are, are open, that's definitely a reason for celebration. I love that we hope to make progress in, in that in that direction too now we're talking about about um, once once everything is open access then you're definitely kind of in a way losing some source of, of revenue and but this this conferences and all of these organizations they're not they're not free there is you need you need to, to pay the hotel you need I, I don't even know what what are all the costs that that's probably involved over there but there is definitely a bunch of uh, of, of course, can, can you talk a little bit about what are the costs that that happens at and what, what's the source of, of all this re- revenue? Where does the money come from? <laughs> so uh, uh,
2: when we uh, book hotels for a conference, as we often do, then uh, the, the thing that the hotel wants the most is that we pay for the food and the drinks. And then in return, they often say, then you can have some meeting rooms for free. That's And so it means that when we look at a conference budget, a lot of it is plainly uh, the food and the, the drinks that are going to be served at the conference. And then of course there will be other there'll be other costs. So uh, Sigplan has a conference manager who uh, helps with the, the four main conferences and does a lot of work on, on making those really good. That costs money. Um, we uh, already talked about the uh, gold open access. So SIGPLAN has a rule that says that if the authors are unable to pay, maybe because they are not at a university that already has signed up to ACM Open, or maybe they just don't have funds to pay for uh, for the open access uh, otherwise, SIGPLAN will pay. So that's another cost. Uh, in the old days, of course, we had a cost to host the program committee meeting, but uh, <laughs> that that kind of went away when we went online. Um, and there'll there'll be some other costs as well. So we have to print the program, and we have to sometimes uh, give bags so people can take all the goodies and put them somewhere. So that costs.
0: Those are very important. Don't 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 yeah, take, no, those no, take those away. <laughs> um,
2: so um, so once you add all the, all of this up, the typical. Uh, Budget for uh, for a sick plan conference can easily be up in the neighborhood of four hundred thousand uh, dollars, and um, uh, so then uh, people pay registration fee, and then we uh, oftentimes end up making a surplus. and And uh, the way a sick plan works is that uh, the conference surplus goes uh, into the common sick plan account. And then what we spend a lot of that money on is students. Uh, so uh, we give it back to students who want to travel to the next conference. And so every year uh, for the last many years, we give out typically $120,000 a year in, uh, in money to students to then travel to the next conference. And so as a result, uh, there's a very good number of students at conferences, which I think was certainly was true at the, at the splash in Chicago that you just mentioned.
1: Yes, and, uh, even more than even more than normal as a percentage. Even
2: more, more than normal. Right? Maybe the students are the most excited to get back after COVID. <laughs> um, and so, um, uh, so, it's, so it's this virtuous uh, cycle where where the, the, the conferences produce a surplus. A lot of that money goes back to pay for students to go to the next conference, and it just keeps the conferences big and exciting.
0: I love that. I love that. Yeah, Splash, we, we were a lot of students. There was one lab, one of the labs in, in my university. We have a lot of students in that particular lab and I think we're 12 students from Tiarek alone, <laughs> just, just from them. So there was a lot of Purdue people as well. But um, yeah, wow. This giving back to students, I, I love that so much. Actually, I think I, I got some of those money, I think 2018 when I went to in California. That was a very good Popo. So I I'm I myself am very glad that it, that that this happens because it, it I wouldn't be able to to join a conference otherwise. I was I was here in, in Brazil and I, I just didn't have the way the means. Now you also you also mentioned about the, the the people who publish and maybe they're not in an institution that has access to the to the golden gold, golden standard and then the SIG plan Base for it is that a, a large amount of people who does that or is it not very it's it's not
2: large anymore so but what has happened over the last okay. uh, few years there is that more and more and more universities have signed up and so the expense to sick plan is not much anymore and so uh,
0: um, mm. When you look
2: at the conference budget of four hundred thousand, it's actually a very small part that goes to gold open access nowadays.
0: Yeah, because I I asked this because I think I don't know. In a way, it's kind of unfortunate that you know academia in general, programming languages you need you need to be inside academia. You need to be inside big institutions. Should be making good research, and I don't know. For me, that's just just kind of unfortunate because, come on, we have we have great minds everywhere. Anyone could be able to to do these things, but it's how it's yeah I think, things are
1: right. You know that it is a reality that uh, you know that that levels of access differ. I think one of our one of our goals as an organization, you know, in ACM and Sigplan, uh, in publications, is to try to level that playing field as much as we can. Um, I don't know that we can ever make it completely flat, but we can keep pushing for it, right? And so I think the push to uh make ACM all open access over time is is part of that uh then no matter where you are you at least can read all the literature uh all the computing literature um and of course that doesn't solve the publishing problem uh but i think initiatives like sigplan where where sigplan uh covers at least for major conference papers the the costs of open access public, publishing um you know they can they can uh uh, that can level the playing field in, in publishing. Um, you know, as we move to open access, I think we need to think more about, you know, what are the remaining barriers? Um, you know, how do we how do we open up this up for for everyone? Uh, one thing is, uh, you know, the for for people who are not um, uh, publishing in a fully gold. Uh, uh, if people are not publishing in one of those top four conferences and want to publish open access, there is a fee right now. Um, And there will be a fee if you're not part of ACM open in the future. Uh, But we need, I think as an organization, we need to figure out, um, you know, how can we support this transition uh, in, in ways that are similar to what we're doing with the top four conferences right now. um, But, you know, accommodate people in, you know, maybe who might be in, in uh, countries where there isn't as much grant funding for this sort of thing uh, people who are working in primarily undergraduate institutions where their advisor may not have research money um, these people may still be doing great research and we want to find a way to publish it and so finding ways of having waivers uh, for these fees and so on I think will be really important as we make this transition
0: yes absolutely absolutely is there any any other sort of um worries that you guys have in the SIG plan, you know, like what are the, some discussions to make things move forward on, on those senses, make things more open, make things more accessible, you know, like more waivers, is there any other, other concerns that you guys have there internally? I I think the, the, the main
2: problem that we were working on a, a, a couple of years ago was, was different. And this is what led to double blind reviewing. And so, so it's again, very much a sort of an equity uh, question of making access to publication flat, as Jonathan was saying that it's, it's equal access to everyone who has a good idea and a good paper. And, um, the, uh, a
0: a very major goal of double-blind reviewing is to create that. Can you give us a brief, a brief explanation of what's double-blind and how was it were things before? In the good old days
2: when you submit a paper, your name and your co-authors names will be on the first page. And so it means that, um, a, a lazy reviewer would be able to look through his or her pile and say, I'm only going to read the papers written by famous people that I know already. And the other ones, I'm just going to, I'm just going to give them a low grade without reading them much. And, um, And so this means that there's a whole bunch of papers with good ideas that that if that's what the reviewer does, won't get much of a hearing. And so that is a problem. And it's particularly a problem in one dimension that I care deeply about, which is uh, gender diversity. Uh, So there, uh, it's just the fact that there's a higher percentage of uh, men than women faculty in the US. And uh, I think it's true for the rest of the world as well. And and so it means that the men, that there are just many more famous men than there are famous women, just because there are many more of them. And so this means that if you are the reviewer and you say, I'm just going to only focus on the papers written by famous people, you end up most likely ignoring papers from females. And that's that's not, so that's just one instance of not fair. <laughs> and so um uh, that that was actually one of the clinching arguments for why a lot of the ACM conferences are, have double-blind reviewing today, and double-blind then means that your neighbor, your name and your co-authors' names are not on the paper, and they are nowhere to be found. And so now nobody will know whether the author is famous or not famous, or male or female. Will just read the paper for what it says. And so, it is, so that is much more fair. And I, I can say for myself that uh, I have had many, many thoughts about double-blind reviewing, arguments for and against. And in the end, the thing that for me was the clinching argument is really this business about gender diversity. That it, it just became too clear that it's not fair to uh, to the females uh, with the way the world is put together today to to have single-blind reviewing, as we could call it, the old system. And so it's like, okay, we'll take double-blind reviewing. I do have my misgivings about it, but it's clear that the advantages are more than the disadvantages. And today, ACM has more than 180 conferences, and Jonathan and I I asked asked them all uh, not so long ago about how they do their reviewing, and and almost all of them are doing double-blind reviewing, well over 75%. And,
1: and it's, uh, it's, it's increasing. It's something that we're encouraging. I think that's a wonderful example, um, of, uh, you know, trying to make the, 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 uh, ACM and the publications process more, more flat and more fair. Another example that's been, that, uh, has been happening in publications, uh, deals with, uh, naming. Uh, so people change their names, uh, you know, for for a long time, we've appreciated that uh, you know sometimes women may change their names when they get married. Uh, but also, uh, I think there's been more appreciation recently that uh, um, you know people who identify as as non-binary, people who are trans, uh, might transition from one gender to another and change their name along with that. Uh, my child changed their name when they began to identify as non-binary. Uh, but if you are a researcher and you've published a paper under Uh, your your old name uh, and you transition then that that name is your dead name right and and uh, you don't want to be identified by that name Um, and you don't want people necessarily to 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 identify you or or associate that name with you because uh, then uh, they they might know that you you're trans you might be bullied because of that Uh, it's a sad fact of our world Um, so we want to protect our authors Um, By and and of course respect them by calling them by their right names. And uh, I think, you know, this has been a challenge uh, Especially in the in the day of of papers printed on on dead trees, right? Once you print a name, it's always there. Uh, But now that we've published papers electronically, that's not the case Uh, So ACM was actually one of the first societies uh, and this was fairly recent uh, two or three years ago uh, to commit to changing authors names in papers after they're published um, and setting up a process to do that. Uh, I think, you know, ACM is um, uh, actually, uh, in the world of publishers, ACM is a pretty lean organization. They We don't have a lot of staff, and I think actually initially we had uh, some challenges, and not in the commitment to do that, which was very strong and upfront and early, but in actually making it happen. Uh, but uh, we've actually, um, ACM has reorganized. Uh, they've created a a separate team uh, specifically for the digital library that reports to uh, uh, the ACM Council um, and uh, they've made uh, they've uh, begun making much more progress at at uh, making these uh, these um, uh, name changes happen uh, quickly and comprehensively so uh, not just changing the name on your papers but any paper in the d- digital library that cites you uh, they will go in and edit uh, the paper, uh, the citation, and change it. Um, so that's, I think, really uh, uh, trying to make sure that uh, um, the record is complete and consistent, and and uh, you know only refers to people by their right names. And that's another thing that I think is really important to equity and in, in, in publishing. Um,
0: I we really, we really like that. That sounds like a lot of work. Go through go through all of their citations and and change. To like minor tweaks, tweaks I or... heard at a at a
2: meeting earlier this year that at this point they they have it down to typically four hours of work so they have automated a lot and and uh, once the name change change is completely understood what it is that needs to be done four hours of work is is like a good expectation to have
0: okay okay it's, it's, a, it's a good number still quite some time quite quite some work right <laughs> yeah
1: certainly figuring out how to do it and and make it make it all happen was was a lot of work uh and i think uh yeah but uh acm is doing much better uh, with this now and i think it's a a good thing for our for our members
0: i really i really like that and it really warms my heart to, to hear you guys saying how important it is for you know um being more inclusive in all in all aspects, because as Jens mentioned, gender inequality in our field is just just excruciating. Sometimes, sometimes I open the the numbers for my for, for this podcast, and like one percent of the listeners are women. I'm like, wow, <laughs> this is this this is it's just you, you cannot you cannot argue with this. Just our field is just so outweighed, you know and I don't know. Um it's it's even hard for us to just say anything about it. Like it's not really our, our place to 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 but we can we can be open and and try to do our best to to be more as inclusive as possible. Um is there any other things that that happens to, for more for more inclusion um those sort of thing. I know PM, PM, PM PMLW, PLMW, PLMW for example does, <laughs> does a lot of 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 work to welcome new students and to make sure that people understand what our field is about. You know, like I don't know. I feel like the most important part of our field, as as we've been talking again and again throughout throughout this this conversation we're having, is not even it's not even the publication. It's not even the conferences. It's, it's, it's people. Like it's it's meeting one another. It's being part of, of this group. That we are, and I, I just I just love PL PLMW, for example, because of this. You know, like it's just just giving this opportunity for people to come here and, and meet each other and and be like, okay, this is what we do. This is what all of this is about.
2: Let me let me give an example uh, from from SIGPLAN. So uh, uh, one of the uh, primary functions of the vice chair of SIGPLAN is to. Uh, to be the main person reading suggestions for program committees for conferences. And um, oftentimes, the comment that the vice chair will send back is, you need more females on the program committee. Sometimes they will say, you need more people from South America or from Australia or some other place. But oftentimes, the main comment that comes back is, you need more females. And it's it's uh it's, in many ways it's very simple. Uh, we we cannot go around and underrepresent females on our committees. We need to give them the the the, rep, the representation that at least the proportion of females in the field is, and maybe even more, because we want to boost the number of females who get their papers accepted and so on. And so um. So it starts at the, it starts at the top. We we try to see to that females on the executive committee that the, uh, that the, that's just the uh, just pay pay attention to to genders at every level.
1: I think that's super important. Uh, and when I ran the uh, the UPSLA, uh, when I was chair of the UPSLA program committee um, in two thousand and fifteen, uh, I recruited a. A uh, PC that was 50% women and uh, oh, wow. you know I it I, I think it, one of the challenges is of course there aren't that many women in our field there aren't uh, the proportion is not anywhere close to 50% but actually you know we have a broad we have a very broad community right many many researchers um, and uh, um, you know sometimes if you're not careful, the same people will get invited to the PC over and over, right? And so I think one of the one of the secrets and uh, that I, I certainly used, and I think other PCs uh, have have used is is to try to broaden that pool, right? Look at all the people who've published in SIP Plan conferences. I got some great data for, that was collected uh, um, on on people who've published uh, through the uh, by previous uh, conference chairs. And I used that to find uh, authors who were, you know, really well qualified, but maybe hadn't served on a PC, right? So I didn't have to ask the same people uh, who have uh, maybe already been doing a lot of work, right? Because the other thing that can happen with the, any underrepresented group is that uh, they can sometimes be asked to do too much work. Uh, but if you find people who maybe haven't served, it's it's an opportunity for them to, you know, be on a, on a major PC that they haven't been on before. And so I think if we can look for those synergies. We can really expand the field. And I, I love, uh, you know, what, what's what been happening with PLMW, as you mentioned. It's a it's a it's a thing that brings more students from all parts of the world, from all different uh, demographics uh, into SIGPLAN conferences. Um, I know uh, uh, SIGPLAN pays uh, for uh, for people to come uh, who are going to PLMW. And. Um, and uh um and uh you know then uh, they they get to meet some of the prominent people in the field and and hear about uh you know kind of get oriented into the research community hear about advice on how to do good research or career paths uh it's it's really been a a great thing in in making sigplan more diverse uh, i think another another activity i would highlight is the uh, uh is the programming language mentoring organization uh, that Talia Ringer and others have been setting up. Um, I've participated as a as a mentor to several people through that program. Uh, I meet with them once a month, and and uh, they get advice from you know maybe they have an advisor at their university, but they can get advice from someone who's outside their university, or maybe they haven't started research yet. Maybe there's not an opportunity at their at their institution, so they can get advice from someone who's uh, at, at a different place. Uh, so that's been another way that we've tried to, um, kind of equalize and give people opportunities, uh, wherever they might be.
0: I love that. That, that is, that is great. Yeah, that's, that's definitely a, is it, is it part of the SIG plan or I think she does this completely on the, on her own, right? It is,
1: it is Uh, part of SIG plan in, in the sense that the SIG plan, I think supports it and, and integrates it into their, their conferences. Uh, but she's, she's doing the legwork and, uh, she and other volunteers are doing the legwork, and I think that's true for a lot of things that happen in SIGPLAN. Uh, someone has a great idea, and uh, UPLMW happened this way, right? Uh, um, it was, it was the, the, a few uh, faculty who had a, um, really wanted to uh, help new people get into our field and, and uh, make the field more diverse. Uh, so they created this uh, this institution, and it it's it's now something that happens at every every conference, and has been sort of passed on to more and more volunteers.
0: I, I like I like that so much because you know like when we were just outside, we I, I consider me, me kind of an outsider watching what's going on in all these conferences and all these these venues and all these things happening, and it seems like everything is just so well behaved already, you know, like everything's already set, everything's already decided in a way that seems like it's done, you know, like it's done, but it's not, it's not, it's, 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 everything is communitary. Everything you, 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 sit down and you, you talk with your friends, you talk with, with each other, with the professors and, and it's still being decided, like what, what should we be doing? And we are all interested together in providing them the best of what we can achieve in, in, in our field, in our, in the conferences, in the papers, in the in the work we do and and welcoming new people we just we just want to do research do science do programming languages what we we all care and love right and i i really i really like that i'm really happy that we're having this conversation and making these these ideas more more broad and more 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 clear right like for everyone to be able to, to see things how they are and anyone who is a, a programming languages researcher can can take part can come over and, and volunteer and, and we, we all have have our voices in a way, right? Some 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 voices are a little more respected because have been uh, have been uh, around for longer, right? And that makes sense. That's how the work the, the world works. But that doesn't mean that that you guys don't listen, right? <laughs> that 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 things things cannot move, cannot change, cannot get better. And I I really appreciate that you guys you guys have been have been awesome. I really appreciate all the work that everyone has been doing. It's a lot. It's a lot of work. It's very hard work. Before before we finish, before we wrap things up, uh, one last last thing that we that that we didn't we didn't we didn't touch at is in the topic of hybrid conferences. What are what are the so we, we're coming out of this of this pandemic world where everything was completely virtual. We were all trapped in our homes, and we had no idea when things would come back online and now that we're starting to come back online there is a lot of conversation of should we come completely should we come online completely or, or rather should we come in person completely as it was before but then there's also this question of of accessibility of welcoming people that cannot travel and then there's also these questions of of um, pollution right. And what are, what are the thoughts? What are the discussions happening about what is the overall sentiment on hybrid conferences? So I think,
1: uh, I think hybrid is, I'll give my opinion. I think hybrid is here to stay. Um, I, you know, we've learned how to do a lot of work virtually that, uh, we did physically before, uh, the pandemic. Um, uh, so I think we'll continue to do that. Um, but I think, uh. People also like to be in person. Uh, they like to have that, that uh in-person connection, talking with people in the hallway, making those uh, connections. And so, and so, I think hybrid is the right way to go. I think we're still figuring out how to do it. Um, uh, you know, um, we've done um, at, at Splash, for example, we had uh, mirrored sessions. Uh, so we held a session in Chicago at the normal time, and then we uh, did the same session eight hours later, and we played uh, videos of people giving their talks. Uh, but the authors uh, came to those uh, that later session if they could. Um, uh, generally, uh, all the sessions were at, were in waking hours in Chicago, so if you were in person in Chicago, then you would you would easily be able to attend both sessions. Um, I, that was something uh, in our in our post-conference survey, the hybrid sessions, uh, the mirrored sessions were uh, really appreciated by some of our, our remote attendees. Um, uh, but it's also true that the attendance wasn't very high on them. Uh, sometimes uh, authors didn't get very many, very, very many questions or uh, or or have much discussion with uh, attendees, you know, virtual attendees in those those sessions. Um, so I think, uh, we're, we need to figure out how to balance kind of the issue of making things accessible, uh, you know, through things like, uh, recording talks and making them available online, um, through maybe holding activities in, in different time zones or different hours, uh, but also, uh, having kind of a critical mass of participation, right? I like to, one of the stories we told in our, in our retrospective on Splash 2021, I think some of the most uh, successful hybrid events were when, uh, there was a smaller event. So it was more discussion oriented. Uh, and there was a critical mass of people in person, but also online. Right. And this created a, a dynamic where you didn't feel like you were alone, uh, in the room and the, at the conference or alone online. Uh, there were, there were people who were like you either way. Uh, And, um, but there was also the opportunity for discussion. So uh, at one workshop, HATRA, I participated in, uh, we had paper presentations. Uh, Some were online over Zoom, some were in person. Uh, We kind of, you know, uh, either way we we mirrored the presentation of the other people. There were discussions and we had breakout groups. When we had a breakout group, typically it was, you know, some breakout groups were all online and some were all in person. But then when we reported back to the whole group, uh, each breakout group kind of talked uh, to the whole audience, of everyone online and in person. And so it was a way of of working, I think, in a natural uh, in a natural way where uh, everyone felt included and and everyone felt they were a part of things, uh, but yet some people were remote and some were in person. Uh, so that worked really well. Uh, we need to find more more ways of uh, kind of incorporating, uh, you know, remote participants with local participants and creating, you know, communities and discussion and interaction, which is what really people go to conferences for, right? We can read the papers in journals, but we go to conferences to talk to people. And uh, how do we make that work?
0: And eat that food that is very expensive. Make sure that we have food there. <laughs> <That's> right. Food <laughs> brings people together. It's true. <laughs> we have a saying, um, where where I'm from, is that, if you put some, well, I think, I think everywhere has, has the same, but if you have, if you put some food in a, in a room, you get grad students, that's, that's given <laughs> 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 Well, that, that, that was, that was amazing. It was a very, very insightful conversation. Is there anything that we didn't, didn't mention that we didn't talk that you guys would like to thought think that would be interesting to, to bring up? We still have time if you, if you want. Any questions that you think that I didn't that I didn't do, and I definitely should should have poked on on some harder questions. No. All right. Well, thank you so much for coming here. Thank you so much for for coming over and and donating some of your time. I know that you guys are very busy. It's a, you guys are part of big big institutions, so we are very very glad that we had this opportunity to be here today and listen about everything related to the sick plan and the ACM I definitely understand much much better how things are gonna are, are, are happening in there I have I think I have a, a, a fair understanding of what where at least where should I go to if I want to learn something or who should I talk with right and it was it was a very enlightening conversation thank you so much yeah. for coming thank you again for inviting
1: Yes, so it was delightful to talk about these issues. I think they're they're close to all of our hearts, and and uh, we're all, we're here because we want to make uh, ACM and the the community of programming languages a better place. Definitely. Definitely.
0: Hope you guys enjoyed the show as much as I did recording it. It's always so nice to be talking with these amazing people. Jens at USCLA and Jonathan at CMU. Amazing amazing institution. Sometimes I think oh my god what am what am I doing? I'm I'm a little nobody. Came out of nowhere Brazil and I'm talking with these amazing people. I am so grateful of our community. People in our community are just so so humble and so accessible. I love it. Thank you, Jonathan. Thank you, Jens, for being here. If you guys are liking this show, I would like to ask your support. I have created a link on Ko-fi so that you can donate. Any amount would be greatly appreciated. I have some of you, I think I, I mentioned this in the last episode, I have frozen my PhD this semester and the next semester to be with my family in Brazil. So I'm basically living out of my savings. So if you like this show and would like to keep see seeing it running, please consider donating any amount. We have two options to give a, 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 whatever amount you, you can give there, have recurring options. So I, I would I would deeply greatly appreciate from the bottom of my heart if you guys could do it. Kofi-type theoryforall.com. You can see a link in our, in our website, type theoryforall.com. Leave any comments that you have to Jonathan and Mianz over there as well. We also have an email if you guys prefer talking more anonymously over there. We have Twitter. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at TT4All. You also find Jonathan's Twitter in the links of the show. I think that's what I have for you guys today. Thank you so much for being here. See you guys next time.